HSD are experts in delivering tech solutions to the vet sector, working with clients such as the Department of Education, Skills and Employment, ASQA and the VRQA. HSD understand the complexities of VET, its systems and data. We specialise in systems integration, customer relationship management systems, Microsoft platforms and migrating organisations to the cloud. So whether you're looking for advice on integrating your systems, meeting your data reporting requirements or looking to gain insights into your stakeholders, HSD are here to help. Visit hsd.com.au or follow us on LinkedIn. I'm Claire Field and Associates. I'm Claire and I'm pleased that you could join me for this episode of What Now? What Next? Insights into Australia's tertiary education sector. Episode 58 and this was such an interesting discussion for me and I expect it will be for you as well. Chris Smith, who is the Head of Strategy and Innovation at ReadyTech, joined me to talk about the future what changes he sees happening in the post-school education sector, how data informs his insights, and how the data that education providers collect every day can drive business improvement, or as Chris puts it, how providers can use data to gain live insights into what's happening in their organisation and use it to scale services faster. If you want to know why an arts degree is a superpower in today's day and age, why the length of an apprentice or trainee's commute is a key factor in non-completion, and how accommodation has an impact on international student satisfaction, then I think you're going to love this conversation. One note before we start, Chris mentions during our interview that ReadyTech is the sole software supplier to the ASINs or the Australian Apprenticeship Support Network providers. And, of course, MEGT is one of the ASINs. And in case you're not aware, in the interests of disclosure, I'm a board member of MEGT. I'm planning one final episode of the podcast this year, which will drop in a week or so, and will be a wrap-up of the key changes that we've seen this year and at least some of what I think we can expect in 2022. In the meantime, here's Chris to talk about the digital transformation taking place in the sector, about the creation and co-creation of online education content, his experience as a former international vet student, and his time as a DJ in King's Cross. A great pleasure for me to be joined today by someone whose job title is Head of Strategy and Innovation, and what a great title that is. Um, I'm pleased to welcome Chris Smith from ReadyTech to uh, the podcast. Chris, welcome. Nice to have you along. Thanks, Claire, and thanks for having me. Huge fan. Oh, bless you. And, um, well, if you uh, are a listener, you will know that I'm as interested in the people that I talk to as much as uh, what they see happening in the sector. So I'm going to hit you with my usual question. My first up question is, who are you? Tell us a bit about your background in the sector um, as well as as your current role. Yeah, sure. Um, Talking about myself is one of my favourite hobbies. Um, 
So I'm originally from the north of England and I migrated to Australia in the year 2000, just in time for the Olympics. Uh, I think it's fair to say that my first decade here was probably best described as uh, unremarkable and similar to many English graduates. I was a bit directionless. And in that time, I was actually an international student in vet. I worked in uh, a range of jobs that I wasn't necessarily qualified for. And I think I'm going to claim a first for this podcast, Claire. I was actually a DJ in King's Cross at the height of things there. And that, that was an entirely different education. And I that suppose- is, that's definitely a, a first for the podcast. You Thanks. are my first DJ. I hope not Thanks, my last, Claire. but no, that's, that's great um, to know. Sorry, please go on. Look, I think, I think in short, uh, I was a smart generalist just missing a bit of a calling. And I actually joined ReadyTech 11 years ago, so I'm a lifer uh, inside of ReadyTech. And one of the sort of random jobs that I'd taken was actually in apprenticeships. And funnily enough, I was talent-spotted working for a customer of ReadyTech at that point in time by the now group CEO. And he, I think he noticed my potential is the way that he describes it and that I was uh, a great cultural fit by which I think he just meant I was English. Um, And at that point, we were fairly small. I think I was in the first 10 people to work for the the, uh, original company. And I spent the first few years consulting directly with clients on change, or I suppose it's now called digital transformation. And in that time, uh, it really gave me a good understanding of the sorts of problems our clients, which were at that point in time, RTOs, were experiencing. And that sort of led me into leading the product and the development of the product for a number of years. And then finally, I landed in my current role, which which sort of sees me work with business managers to set strategy and focus on the future through innovation. And a, a large part of that is going deep into education and its adjacencies, such as work, and ensuring that we connect our value with our customers. And I guess I'm sort of in the, the business of prediction now. And just maybe for context, some ready tech background yeah yeah please yeah thanks claire um look we we build what we call mission critical software across multiple industries and one of them is is education and our core products here are a student management system so primarily in the tertiary space but we have a, a really large footprint in education in australia and we service over a thousand providers um, we extend out into things like work pathways and employment and i think interestingly for uh, some of this audience, apprenticeships and government systems as well. And uh, and much more. I think you've been uh, quite modest. So you've focused on, on the parts of the business that are directly relevant but yet to, to listeners to this podcast. But ReadyTech going from what you've described in the early days to, to what it is now um, as an ASX-listed company um, with a very significant uh, footprint. You've, you're very much one of the, the bigger end of town now, that's for sure. Thanks, Claire. We are actually looking for someone in marketing as well. If you're, <laughs> if you're so if my consulting gig doesn't work out, you know, I should give you a call. That's terrific. So you have, you've been uh, modest a little bit about, I guess, the, the operations other than, than education and, and people can certainly uh, find out more if they want to get the, the full picture. But you're right, it is education and particularly post-school or tertiary education uh, which listeners to this podcast are interested in and you've kind of described yourself I think uh, I would say as the the guy with the crystal ball um, at uh, at ReadyTech so can you talk us through 
what kinds of changes and trends that you're seeing in the tertiary education sector and some insights into what you think they mean for the future. Sure, sure, Claire. And I think one of the great things about being a futurist is that no one ever circles back to say that you're wrong. So um, one of the, the great positions of privilege to be in. But look, I think it's it's hard to comment on trends without sort of referencing the situation we find ourselves in right now. I think it's fair to say that it's been a tough couple of years dealing with the uncertainty. And I think there's been better qualified people commenting on the impact of the pandemic than me. And that includes you, Claire. So I really kind of want to touch on some of the potential positives that are emerging. And there are a few. Um, I think one of the first is that the sort of growing importance and awareness of the importance of digital and that isn't just limited to say online learning which is is obviously a focus right now but also on the creation and curation of of a true digital experience that encompasses pretty much the whole say student journey Um, and I think at ReadyTech we we do an annual survey and we we kind of take the temperature of our customers and, and beyond and one of the things that's noticeable is the responses around the shift to online and the importance of, of digital transformation, which is described as a high priority for, for 2021 in respondents. And I think we'll see that increase again uh, in the, the next round of that survey. So, so those things are, are obviously top of mind. And I think another sort of trend is the, the shift to place sort of skills at the center of the conversation and specifically skills for work. And I, I think this is, is really going to serve as well. I think for um, skills are effectively like a, a currency. And I think with more clarity throughout the system, students can more readily understand how and where they can acquire the skills they need and where that sort of places them in the context of the labour market. And I think for employers, and, and I'm obviously representing a, a company as well, and we, we look through recruitment and that lens and look at the skills that, that um, potential uh, employees might have. And it's just very easy when you place skills uh, in that context to, to sort of more readily measure and be able to do things like workforce development into the future around capability. And I think if you look at, say, the technologies like Fathom or Burning Glass and Rejig and even the government's JEDI projects, we've got these great sources of data that are framing this conversation. And really importantly, I think personally, that it can help educators to effectively incorporate skills into the the sort of development of curriculum and and that can supplement industry consultation for example and ensure that products and services that that have been put into market are really well aligned with what the market's demanding so I think that's a really big sort of emerging trend as well I think finally and I think this is one that I'm personally experiencing is that I'm really encouraged by the sort of spirit of collaboration that's that's um, happening right now. And I think that there seems to be this collective responsibility to restore Australia's education system to pre-pandemic levels. And I think as part of this, um, it really feels as though we've pivoted into this problem-solving mindset. And I think that's an amazing place to be because it, it just inevitably promotes continuous improvement. And I think, I'm not saying that we'd reached a place of complacency pre-pandemic, but I think certainly um, for me and, and being in a, a product environment where you're constantly thinking about continuous deployment, continuous improvement, um, you're constantly thinking about how can we do better? And I think that that mindset will, will really um, provide a great platform for, for us as we look to, to address what's happening. 
And I think for, for us, the next couple of years, we'll see the acceleration of innovation. And we've built our whole strategy around connecting our, our customers to that via an edtech ecosystem. So um, new players coming in, solving niche problems and collaborating, partnering in that ecosystem to deliver value to educators. Can, can you tell me, uh, there's a lot of questions that I have. Uh, sure. Firstly, I, can you tell me a bit more about the, that ecosystem that you've just touched on at the end, the bringing in new players and um, yeah. adding value and innovating uh, for your customers? Yeah, sure. I, I guess for us, we we did some sort of reflection uh, maybe 18 months ago now, and um, what we looked at is the products that we build are, are really large and they're complex. Um and we solve an awful lot of that that student journey. And I think for us, um, it was interesting to see new players coming in and, and solving very discreet or niche problems, but having high focus on those, those things. And what we realized is if we can partner with those types of providers, we can access that value and provide that directly to our clients. And what, what we bring and what we offer is um, – where the, the pillar that, that most of our clients actually build their, their technology ecosystem or, or solution on. And we can introduce new value, new innovation faster through partnerships as a strategy. And um, we also can help support these emerging ed tech providers um, that, are, that are actually, there's a proliferation uh, throughout Australia. And I think the work that, say, EduGrowth does in, in connecting them together is super important and um, through partnerships, we can just build value. And effectively, it's, it's like an extensible uh, technology team for us. So it's, there's a lot of mutual benefits that are there. And I, I think that that, that as, a, as a sort of a trend is, um, yeah, is really important. And I think it'll, it'll help our customers grow their value and, and solve some of their problems uh, as we move into the future. Got it. That's really um, what well, smart on on all parts. So you've got the the core platform that your um, your customers are using, and obviously you're making your own improvements to it. But what you've identified is there are others out there who've got some niche uh, solutions to specific problems that are going to be relevant to helping your customers and in turn you're helping those ed tech providers who sometimes struggle with the the B2B offer, Uh, you've already got those relationships with your customers. So it's sort of a win-win-win by bringing all those parties together. Yeah, uh, you you put that extraordinarily well, Claire, and I'll I'll, uh, remind you that there is that place in marketing (laughs) Well, I was going to say to you, I really liked as well that that your look to the future, given what we have been through, which is I'm putting the final touches on a a speech that I'm giving uh, tomorrow and I'm just thinking back to what a gigantically exhausting huge couple of years this has been and we're certainly not at at the end of it yet but I like the the positivity and um, in in your focus on the future and and looking at uh, the the opportunities and your emphasis on the problem-solving mindset that you can start to see emerging in the sector. Did you want to just tease out a bit more about that? Yeah, I think it's it's really interesting. I'm going to talk now about being a graduate of uh, of English, Claire. Um, I was actually quite good at almost everything at school as a 
generalist without being necessarily the best. And um, I think when it came to, to choices on university, I decided to do uh, English, which, you know, it's questionable if you're talking about a direct pathway to employment. Um, but also I think on reflection, the things that you learn in the arts are actually almost like a superpower now. So critical analysis, critical thinking, like problem solving, empathy, all of those things that are actually skills that you acquire through studying something like English. And it took me a long time to place the right amount of value on those. Um, I think certainly for me, uh, whenever you pick pick up a book, the, the thing that you're trying to do is trying to work out what what's happening inside of that. And I think that as a, as a mindset is something that's incredibly useful to deal with, say, uncertainty and and things like that. And I think for a long time, um, we'd kind of, you know, we'd established a, a pretty amazing world-class education system and it served us super well. Australia is an amazing destination for, for people to come and study as well. So we were, we were growing and um, we didn't need to exert too much effort to, to continue that growth. And then obviously something as disruptive of, as a pandemic happens and, and all of a sudden you, you sort of challenged and it's in those moments that, that problem solving needs to emerge. And what I'm really encouraged by is the conversations I've had, the quality of those conversations and the quality of the problem solvers that are working on this right now really make me believe that we're in a, a pretty incredible place to restore um, to where we were and actually not just restore, but improve the offers, the products, the services that we put into market I think we're in a really good position to, to actually improve. I think the one thing, obviously, is just uh, a few of the constraints that are outside of the educators' controls, and I think they're well uh, well documented. No, that's a, a good point, and I love that phrase, the arts as a superpower, and I say that as a proud arts graduate myself. Huh. Uh, so I'm going to go now from the big picture about the future of the sector to something which, again, fits a bit with that uh, problem-solving mindset. So... Uh, the expectations from both of the regulators, ASQA and TEXA, is increasingly that providers don't just collect data and maybe do a bit of basic analysis of it, but that they are actually using their data in a much more sophisticated manner and using it particularly to drive improvements. Now, I'm guessing for those 1,000 providers that, you know, use your uh, systems, that data is going to come from their student management system. And so I'm interested in, have you made any refinements and maybe some of those ed tech partners that you've been talking about, or are you planning on any in the future, if you can talk about them, to help providers make better use of their data? And maybe that's the wrong question to be asking, and this isn't something that you think that ReadyTech or an organisation like yours has a role in. What's, what's your thinking about this data for self-improvement uh, quest that's sort of happening in the sector at the moment? Yeah, sure. Look, I think you're absolutely right to call data data out as a huge opportunity for education. I think if we start by sort of giving ourselves almost like a virtual high five, I think our system in Australia is extraordinarily high quality and really consistent data that we collect. And that gives us a pretty large competitive advantage in how we choose to use it. And it feels right to start to think about how we can be more data-led. I think all of those things are, are true. Um, I think actually just touching on something I've been involved with 
recently, which is the, the VET Data Streamlining Project. I think if we get that right, that could actually, from a, a vocational perspective, that could actually extend out what's possible even further and improve things um, significantly as well. Um, and I think if you remember, I mentioned that part of my role has been in the business of prediction. And I think it's fair to say that, that data is super important in that context. Uh, I think, for example, we've recently been working on a, a project in the apprenticeships space um, that uses data to apply like a risk rating around completion. And, and we're actually achieving very high levels of accuracy in that. Um, it's interesting because from the conversations I've had, it's a problem that lots of uh, of companies are actually trying to solve applying a, a risk rating to uh, attrition and completion in, in education and, and, and apprenticeships. So um, that's one of the things that we're looking at leveraging data around. I think lots of what we learned was probably intuitive. So for example, we know that mentoring works. We know peer support is important. We know supervisors are important. We know the length of the commute is critical, um, but we've actually now got the data to give our customers the opportunity for earlier intervention. I think this is the key really. So forget the idea of, say, data to be used for reports at a point in time and start to consider things like live insights and recommended actions and effectively allowing service to scale faster. And when you put the, the sort of um, mental health lens over this, um, support and student welfare is something that we have to get better at. And when you've got a fairly small team managing a large student population, that's actually really challenging. So I think data certainly in that context is, is super important. That's one of the things that we've been working on. And I think just in terms of like the regulators and where, where they can um, can come on board, I think it's super important that they, they stay current with things. Um, I think one of the few things that can hold us back is compliance and the way that that compliance is applied, specifically with reference to technology. Uh, so it feels as though leading into, say, 2022, that we should be in a position to entertain how technology is a way of solving problems without necessarily compromising the quality that we've, we've worked really hard to build in Australia. And I'm encouraged, actually, by the way, that, say, ASK has shifted its approach of late, and I'm, um, I'm really... Uh, I'm, really hopeful that that the regulators come to the party here and, and start to just consider technology not necessarily as a way of circumventing the compliance that they put in play, but more the way that it can help to, to sort of turbocharge how compliance can be managed. And I think one of the things that you called out is professional development, Claire, and, and absolutely we need to upskill our educators in a whole range of new capabilities and data is, is just one of them. Mm -hmm. um, thank you for the so, so many questions now buzzing around in my <laughs> head. Um, particularly, so thinking about uh, the regulators, I was, oh, I've got two questions. I'm going to have to sure. pause. Um, I'm first of all fascinated by, uh, I think I had some awareness of the work that you're doing in the apprenticeship sector and some of those indicators, those lead indicators of you know, higher levels of attrition, are probably not new, although, of course, as soon as you single it out, it's obvious, but I really hadn't thought about the length of the commute as having been a factor. I mean, I've worked in policy in and around apprenticeships and VET for a long time. So, again, there's another useful insight, and I'm guessing that would probably, and, you know, again, you'd want to interrogate the data to find it out, but I'm guessing that's potentially also an issue for 
uh, non-apprenticeship providers whose offerings were maybe pre-pandemic face-to-face, that there's parts of their cohort, uh, lack of access to public transport, timetables and, you know, uh, lack of, you know, parking nearby, that these are also all factors that providers need to be thinking about just looking at addresses in terms of trends amongst students with higher dropout rates uh, than others when they're interrogating the data, which is a long and rambling question, but it's because you've really uh, tweaked my interest into something that I hadn't been thinking of as a factor in poorer completion rates for some cohorts of students. Yeah, look, I think this is one of the, the things that data offers us, Claire. It's, it's about insights that you might otherwise miss. And the emergence of, say, data science as a capability is, is actually offering whole new uh, avenues into exploring what that data looks like. So we, uh, we work um, as almost interpreters of that data. So we're super familiar with the data that we collect. We, we know some things that or at least some questions that we want to ask. And then we get people who are extraordinarily capable on the data science side to, to run models and surface insights. And it's been really interesting working on this project personally, because I, I, like I said, I actually started in apprenticeships. I actually have a, a, a genuine affection and uh, for anyone listening, every trainee and apprentice in Australia is on ReadyTech software because we're the sole provider into the ASINs. So from that regard, we've got this extraordinary opportunity to look at that data as a, as a whole and start to derive some insights. And, and one of the things is um, surfacing insights. The other is what do you do with them? Because sometimes it's hard, given the nature of an apprenticeship is that it, it's uh, on work sites. Uh, it's hard to change the length of the commute. But what we have is knowledge about that as a factor which means that it places those apprentices in a slightly higher risk category. And what that allows is the people supporting those apprentices an opportunity to have different types of conversations. And that's where it's, to my mind, it's it's really interesting because instead of coming in cold and being, say, a mentor or someone trying to uh, counsel that, that apprentice uh, through to completion, um, you've just got new tools, new triggers, new things that you can keep track of and, and um, take uh, yeah, take a time time out to kind of discuss with with an apprentice where they're at, if that's actually becoming a factor or not. Um, there's opportunities to change work sites, things like that. So I think that's the 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 new or emerging opportunities is how do we do service better based on data? Mm-hmm. And it, and it allows you that early insight to be monitoring and keeping an eye on particular cohorts because of these risk factors rather than something going oh my goodness Fred's you know uh, wants to he's rung up and uh, doesn't want to go on with or doesn't want to continue on with the apprenticeship and I'm thinking something similar in the Texas space obviously not involving um, apprenticeships but uh, probably 12 or 18 months ago in a an audit of one of the the universities they made a point which they've now made it as a general guideline for all higher education providers it's not enough to just look at how your in this instance it was international students how your international student cohort is progressing alongside 
your domestic student cohort. In actual fact, within that group of international students, you've got some very different subsets, those who enter under different pathways with different academic backgrounds um, and, again, being much more uh, digging further and deeper into your different groups of students to check how different subgroups or cohorts are progressing and where you might need to amend what you're teaching, provide additional support. It's it's being more sophisticated in your analysis to then drive the improvements in in your response to particular areas of of risk for students not performing um, as academically well as they might. Yeah, I think all of that is is possible. I've worked on a couple of projects where, where those things are true of international student cohorts. And one of the things that we, we know for a fact is that um, something like accommodation or, or even homestays is super important. And I, I think that there's an opportunity there to better match students with the right type of um, of placement. And based on things that you might not think of collecting upfront in that pre-enrollment or application stage. So what they're interested in, those sorts of things and how you might use that data to better place them and put them into a situation where they're more comfortable um, actually getting more value out of that. Um, because it's not, you know, it's not just study. It's also the, the experience on, uh, on shore or in country that, that really matters to international students. So those things are, uh, are super important. And we actually have uh, a really, I guess, a strategy that sits behind a uh, the way that we try and pull in as much data from as many sources as humanly possible and place that on the, the student profile to make sure that anyone working with those students actually has access to all the information needed to, to sort of service them in the best possible way. And that's that's something that we've worked with um, our, our customers on over time. Brilliant. And as we've just had the uh, new international education strategy released uh, with its focus on a different mix of international students, better integrating students into communities, uh, the kind of, again, you've taken it to a level of analysis that I hadn't necessarily had front of mind. It's not just their experiences at the institution. It's it's the other life that a student has and where we have data on those aspects of it uh, that's also important. Um, Chris, this has been a, for a data nerd like myself, this has been a fascinating uh, conversation. I'm uh, very pleased to have had you on the podcast. Thank you for making the time. And I'm going to say to you, I might get you back in the future for some more future predictions. And if I do, I might also ask, you can brush off your DJ skills and we'll do some different music as as the background music for the podcast. How about that for a future episode? Uh, It sounds (laughs) awesome, Claire. Thank you. (laughs) Slightly nervous about me getting you to polish off your DJ skills, but uh, that's a very interesting insight. into. super nervous, uh, actually, Claire. I was never very good. (laughs) Well, listen, thank you again for making the time available um, and all the very best with the work that you're doing. Thanks so much, Claire. I appreciate it.